Fusari in the background. Don't let love down. I'm Professor David Kirk Philp along with Professor Aaron Van Dynamite! Aaron Van Dynamite! How you doing, Professor Van Dynamite? It is great to have you here. I could not be better. Every day is Christmas. Every day is Christmas, especially when I'm with you. Good. So this is Music Biz 101 More, Brave New Radio 88.7, the campus of William Patterson, the university. And what we're doing for you is making the music business better. Uh, we have Professor Aaron Van Dynamite on because our friend Dr. Esteban Marconi has been on assignment. assignment. He should be back next special week. <laughs> Very special assignment. He should be back next week. And so this is, as uh, Aaron said, his last chance to screw everything up. Yep, that's it. Everything that's that we've been working for for yep. four years, he can destroy it in one fell swoop with his power. So we got that. We also have behind the other microphone and answering telephones and doing all the technical work. Her name is Ashley Weltner because her name is Ashley Weltner. Multicolored hair, but she's a person who gets the job done. Good to have you here, Ashley. Are you happy tonight? Are you happy right now? I am very happy right now. That's right. Now, please turn that mic off so you are not to speak again. So thank you, Ashley. And uh, we're here. We have a great guest tonight. His name is Mark Goodman. We're going to talk more with Mark in just a moment want to remind you to go to musicbiz101wp.com sign up for the newsletter follow us on the twitter the face of the book the instagram at musicbiz101wp listen to our podcasts on soundcloud on itunes and don't forget about next week no i'm sorry don't forget about uh, two days from now thank you don't come next week you can but we won't be there come on friday march 24th 7 30 p.m I want my 80s, the best of MTV's early years. Go to wp-presents.org to get your tickets or just come on by. Students are $10, $20 for seniors and William Patterson University faculty. And then $25 for everybody else. We also want to give thanks to the Music Biz Association. Save the date for May 15th through the 18th, 2017. Music Biz goes to the Music Biz in Music City and we are going to be there doing lots of interviews with groups of students, interviewing industry pose, making connections, and we can only go because of people like Rob Fusari and people like Aaron Van Dynomite. Aaron Van Dynomite. Thanks to Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and KISS, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. You want to go to vb-cpa.com when it's best for you. And also, and thank you again, Aaron Van Dyno Mike. I don't know if we'll have you on again before we go away in May. Probably not. No. I'm going to hug you. Hold on. Hugging him. I'm on his mic hugging him, embracing this man. That was, that's radio. That's good radio for you. And then we also want to congratulate Brave New Radio for being named the number one college station in America. And todos los Estados Unidos, again, by the IBS, the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System. 
And then uh, Marconi is texting in saying, once again, he can't hear that the background music is too loud. Um, he's 107, so I wouldn't listen. He doesn't like rock and roll. He, uh, when we do our, our 80s night coming up, he thinks it's 1780s. So don't worry about that. So uh, finally, Managing Your Band, 6th edition. It is coming out May 23rd. Order that at Amazon.com. What? It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. That is co- probably going to be number one on the Amazon bestseller list. It's going to the New York Times. Yes. It's uh, going to be probably bigger than The Art of the Deal at this point. So. That's because uh, And we have some Aaron Van Dyne. Aaron Van Dynamite inclusion in the book. We mentioned your name. You're on one of the. You're on the cover, the front or the back, saying something witty. Oh, good. Which that's all you do, though. Yep. You're you're a witty man. How is the tax business, by the way, right now? Going uh, all right? It's going. You're a little busy. It's a little busy. <laughs> if he can't do your band's business management, he'll do your taxes. Right. So there we go. Has Mark Goodman called in yet? Is Mark Goodman on the air? If I were to speak to Mark Goodwin, would he speak back to me? I could. Mark. This is all hypothetical, Mark. You don't have to. But hypothetically, if we wanted to interview now, interview you now, would you speak with us? Uh, hang on. I got Let me call my attorney. Yeah, yeah. Steve. Talk about that because uh, I don't know if you signed all the necessary release forms to have you on. So um, I signed nothing. <laughs> I signed nothing for you. So we want to thank uh, Mark Goodman is on the air with us. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Do you want to explain why we're having you on the air tonight of all nights? Oh hell, I don't know. <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> no, you didn't. We just called you. He was he was in bed actually, and uh, Ashley said, "Hey, Mark, don't forget." And he goes, "Oh no." So, uh, Mark is on the air because of our big "I Want My Eighties The Best of MTV's Early Years" show taking place this Friday. Mark, what do you have to do with this show? Uh, well, with any luck, uh, I'm going to try again, and, and it it's, hasn't worked out well in the past, but I'm going to try and, and be the MC. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. With any luck. I know. And I don't, if you need help, we'll, we're there for you because I know you don't have much experience doing any sort of, of that kind of work. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. You know, look, I'm, what I'm generally used to, except for my latest gig over at Sirius, um, what I'm generally used to is having a lot of music, so I don't have to talk that much. So if you can work that out, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what we, we, we can do. We'll, we'll make, uh, the band will, will be kicking some solid American buttocks, so I think you're going to enjoy it. I actually can't wait. Yeah. And DMC's going to be there. How awesome is that? Yeah, the, 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 the Daryl McDaniels, the DMC. So it's two MCs. We have you and we have him. Can't get better than that. But he's like a real MC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's going. We had him on the radio uh, two weeks ago. Aaron Van. D- let me. By the way, let me introduce you to Aaron Van Dyne, who's uh, the co-host for tonight's. Aaron, Hi, Mark, Sarah. how are you? Aaron, hello. What? <laughs> Aaron is the business manager for Kiss and Three Doors Down and Charlie Puth, and you heard me probably read some of that off. Um, yeah. So he's very experienced in all that kind of stuff, and he can do your taxes too. Uh, I guess well, good I, to know. We'll talk after. Mark, you sound exactly <laughs> as you did in 1980 or 81 on MTV. Ah, oh, well, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I've deteriorated since then, but thank God the voice is still working. <laughs> That's maybe the most important thing for you right now. Uh, I, if, if, if we could, I would like to get into with you the, um, the mechanics of actually doing an interview, because I think we can relate. All the interviews you've done and, and how you've done them to a lot of our listeners are, are college students, especially some are on the verge of graduating and they're going to be doing lots of interviews on their own to get jobs. 
And I think there's are some similarities there. So if I may, I would like to ask you some questions about that. Wait, so you, we're, we're going to compare a job interview with an interview interview? Yes. Do you, for example... Okay. No, no, here, here, here's where I'm, where I'm coming from. So if I'm sitting down, or even right now, I've met you a couple of times, so it's not as if, if I was going to sit down across from Huey Lewis, for example, who's somebody who I have uh, idolized for many years, right. I would have some nerves. I would be very uh, self-conscious of how I was sitting, about how I was talking to him, uh, right. how, how is he judging me. That he didn't the, think you're a dork. Yes, and he would think I was a dork, as Mark is thinking right well, now, and obviously. Well, let's, let's not forget, since we're using that example, that Huey Lewis was the guy who wrote the song, It's Hip to be Square. So that should calm your nerves right there. That is, that is very true, and it is hip to be square. And Huey Lewis is also the guy, or his band actually wrote uh, Ghostbusters. Um, well, even, no. though, even though Ray Parker... Well, they, I they, buy a brand yeah. new drug. Yeah, no. I, I know, I know what you're saying, but that's we're not allowed to talk about that. That was settled out of court, and uh, money true. exchanged hands, and that's all we know. That's right. And um, I, I guess, Mark, right. one thing is you interviewed some, you know, some of these huge people like Bowie and McCartney. Did you go and do some kind of research before so you would know exactly what type of questions to ask them, what you thought may make it flow better? Absolutely. Oh my God, Paul McCartney was like one of the, the great interviews of, of my life, and you know he's. I, I was I was really nervous going into that one. I mean, there was not only was it Paul McCartney who I grew up listening to, and you know was was so dumbfounded that I was lucky enough to get to meet the guy and sit down and talk to him. Um, but you know, it's a very it was a very specific. Thing that we were doing, we we they took me to London, and he was in the studio working on the soundtrack to that awful film. Give my regards to Broad Street, and we were there to talk to him about that. But generally, of course, you talk about general stuff, so you you have to lay it out. And tell, doing a television interview and doing uh, interviews for for MTV and for other television shows that I've done, it's a different kind of thing than it is on radio because television usually comes in much smaller bites now i had you know that show was, was made into a special but um and we did a straight through interview but you know you have to sort of take into account oftentimes like if you look at, at you know any of the late night talk show hosts you know they're looking at seven minutes so you got to get everything down and you got to really cover a lot of ground in a limited amount of time so for me I have to be organized, and I need some stuff, and I, I do different things. You know, I have, like, just sort of keywords and things that I have in front of me. And, you know, I used to use cards. Uh, back in the day, I use an iPad now, but I, I still I still do that. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you uh, compose a tweet, and when you start, you know, it might be, say, 300 characters and then you have to keep right, editing it right. down to get to your point and it forces you to do it and so the constructs of doing a television interview where they say okay you ultimately mark you have seven minutes to do this and to get everything done you really are doing a lot of self-editing right, now is there usually a producer helping you through this or is a lot of this well, just in terms of, of my research you know although we had producers who we worked with on the floor when we were doing you know, richest regular VJ segments and, and different producers who we would work with if we were going to do, you know, like that, like my interview with Bruce or, you know, with, with Paul, Paul McCartney, things like that. Um, you, you work with a different producer who handles 
the overall production. But for me, I have always done my own research. I need to, to come to it with my own perspective on things. And, you know, I'll, I'll make sure with an artist, so I'm going to go and make sure that I'm really familiar with their music and, you know, with stuff that's going on in the news. And, you know, it's much easier to prep for those kinds of things these days than it was back then. Yeah, I was going to ask you, has it changed much from 30 years ago to today in how you, how, how you prep and how you actually handle the interview itself? Well, you know, the great thing about the Internet is that, you know, I can just Google somebody and, you know, Wikipedia is one thing, but I can find all kinds of, uh, of reviews of their, of their past work and articles and what they're up to now and tour dates and, you know, something that happened last night, you know, at, at a show. So there's all of that immediate stuff. Um, so it's it's a lot easier and a lot uh, a lot better to prep for those kinds of things today. I honestly, I, you know, we used to do the same thing that I do today for my shows on, on the big eighties on Sirius XM. So, I, you know, we I get a log in advance and I know where my breaks in the hour are and I know every song that I'm going to play in the hour and what song I'm going to be coming out of and what song I'm going to be going into. And so I set up the break, and I just put little notes on my log that tell me to remind me what I was going to talk about. And a lot of that, a lot of that information, I try and be as current as possible, even though it's an 80s channel, and I get that online. But we used to get, at MTV, we'd get our scripts delivered to us. They used to have a, a car, you know, a car service, that would drive around to all of our houses and they would finish at like nine o'clock at night and the cars would show up with our scripts the night before and I don't I don't have any idea how I did that. <laughs> there was no internet and I don't know how I prepped my scripts and had you know, knew what I was gonna talk about. I have no idea. <laughs> a whole bunch of whole mess of encyclopedias at the house. Or something. Well, it was you know it was the, like the encyclopedia of rock and roll, and so I had you know on this day in rock, I had a lot of books, and I, I did use books, but you know in terms of wanting to be current, you know I had to really rely on our news department yeah. to they were the ones who were, were unearthing stuff that was going on uh, again no internet so they were hearing from publicists or they were reaching out to management and our own management would would uh, you know would be talking with labels and with management and publicists and they would be telling our news department and they would be sharing information with us so it was a much more bulky kind of a process but when they were, when they were giving you scripts were these these weren't for interviews. These were more for in between the song, the videos that you were playing. Right? Yeah, you know, just just like you know, on radio, mm -hmm. the, the song ends and and the DJ talks. And this was the same thing on MTV. I know that it's probably, you know, people who who are going to William Patterson don't have any idea of what a VJ is or what it was like to have music on MTV. But there used to be, and we used to have to talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I planned out what was going on. Right. You know what I was going to say, and and look, a lot of it um, was stuff that you know I that was what I was doing anyway. I was I was reading Spin magazine, I was reading Rolling Stone, I was reading Musician, and so a lot of what I brought to it was just what I would be doing. It was current information to me, and you know that still applies today. But you know it goes beyond that because we can be up to the minute, right? 
So you were doing current events, but they weren't as current as you could get now. No, yeah. I mean, I mean in terms of really specific stuff, you know, Steven Tyler fell off the stage last night and broke his collarbone. You wouldn't know that. Well, right? I wouldn't hear about that for a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's much, much better in terms of, of, of immediacy. Now, how about when you interviewed, I watched an interview you did with Robert Plant back in 83. He had uh, the principle of moments come out and yeah. it was about a, it's, it's on YouTube. It's about a 10 minute interview. They, they cut out right. all the videos and you did the long, and I'm watching the interview and he's not the, the most outgoing personality during this interview. It almost felt like you were really working hard to get him to speak, to yeah, give you something. How, how, what are some of the techniques you would use with that type of personality when it wasn't there? We'll talk in a minute about an interview with, you did with David Lee Roth, which is completely the opposite um, yeah. with that type, the Robert Plant type. How, how would you get him to to the more reserved personality to get out more to, to give you what you wanted? You know, I 50 percent of an interview is who you're interviewing. And it's it's a difficult situation and you know it's on tv it's on you know for in that situation it was so people are looking at him looking at his face and i, I mean what what i remember about that interview was that he um, he had a bit of an attitude and it's not that he in general does for, for all i know he had a bad day you know <laughs> he didn't get his donut before he got into to the station to do the interview with us so i, I don't know but um, the best thing that I can do in any situation like that, whether it's somebody who's, you know, kind of being the, the hyper cool rock star or somebody who's just really uncomfortable. Peter Gabriel also was like pulling teeth to, to talk to him and to get information out of him. And the, the best that I can do is listen, which is, some, you know, we started off talking about comparing these interviews to job interviews and listening is is key i think you got to listen to what these people are they're asking you questions and you know you got to listen and and when i would listen to to robert i tried to rather than stick with the notes that i had going into the interview to really respond to what he was saying and and to try and understand what what he might where he might be coming from at any given moment and all I can do is be myself, and so I would, you know, joke around and, and come up with stuff and, and hope that it, it lightened the mood. At the end of the day, he's going to be how he's going to be or she is going to be, and my goal to this day is I want to walk away from the interview feeling like we all know that person a little bit more. I know a little bit more about why they make the kind of art that they do a little bit more about what their their life is like and and what they bring to to the work that we that we love and that's the hope you know sometimes it works out really well other times not so much so even in that interview at one point i looked and i thought you had a whole notepad in front of you with notes and it turned out it was just the lp and you, yeah. I, you didn't have any notes with you. And I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's really pretty good. That, you, that was preparation, it seemed, right there. Well, I, I just not to, to, you know, sort of tip my hand or burst the bubble, but I, uh, most of the time, or m many of the times, with, especially with an interview like that, when, 
Robert Plant, and this is, you know, there was whatever it was, you said 83. 83, yeah. So Led Zeppelin had just broken up a few years before, and there was a big, big thing that this guy was coming out with a solo record. So it was a huge interview for the channel. And, uh, you know, I had to be really on my game as much as possible. And in the MTV situation, what I wound up ultimately, after a year or so of doing it, um, I got to a point where I would do my research, and I, I said that I would do little, like I might write out some questions, but oftentimes it was keywords. And so I started to give that to um, the guy, either the prompter guy, the teleprompter guy, who, um, you know, my camera, uh, for, for the, the camera that would shoot me on the prompter, there would be keywords for the questions that I wanted to do. Or if we were in a remote situation, as I often did, we'd be out somewhere talking. I would have cards that would just have some keywords so I would know where I wanted to go. And that, in that, both of those cases, the producer really helps a lot to help to keep the interview moving in the direction that it should because, um, They'll feel like maybe if the person is sort of dragging and not responding uh, or if we um, needed to slow down or speed up, I would get those signals from my producer. Um, if they, you know, and especially now with, with the show that I'm doing now, the, the live show on Sirius, there's, there's moments where, you know, we're getting to a break. i got to wrap it up because we have to go to a break. And so I, I get those kinds of signals and that's always helpful and just sort of part of the nuts and bolts of of doing the interview so all the stuff on mtv or much of it was live it wasn't pre-recorded no no all of our vj segments pre-recorded all of them uh all of our interviews anything that you saw between the videos was all pre-recorded and, and usually at least 24 and, and in a number of cases 48 hours in advance Okay, so they could do some editing anyway, or or no, we didn't do any editing. Oh, oh you still <laughs> no didn't editing. though. Really? No, we our, our segments were we just did them, and if something went wrong, if we gave a wrong bit of information, or something happened, um, either we would try to do what we you know we called the taped live. We would try to make it, you know, make it up. Uh, you know, JJ Jackson and I came to the job. Having been in radio for years, I had been in radio for over six years already, and JJ had been doing it for over ten. So we kind of knew what it was to be live. And if you stumbled on a word or if you did something wrong, you you had to figure it out and and figure out the way to move on. So we brought that to MTV, even though we were taped as much as possible, so it would feel live. But if something was beyond repair, then we'd stop and we'd just do the segment again. Interesting, because it did feel live, you know, because yeah. uh, we all thought that. So uh, that's very, very interesting. Now, there were uh, so many mistakes, so many things where we were tripping over ourselves. What, what a lot of people don't know, and it's, it's funny because someone posted somewhere recently online that I saw um, some footage from the earliest days of MTV, when we, right after we launched in 1981, the first six months especially we were all just figuring it out you know there wasn't vjs we didn't know what we were supposed to be doing we and for for us who were the, all of the vjs were living in manhattan and it wasn't on in manhattan 
So we couldn't watch it, where people in Jersey and people, you know, in, in the boroughs out on Long Island, they were all watching. And we would, would start to get, I, I pushed for us to get tapes so we could actually see what it looked like for us to come out of a video and back announce that was Peter Gabriel or whatever and talk about some music news or tour dates and then throw to the next video. So you had a sense of what the segment really felt like for the person at home. And, you know, it was, it really was a, an education. And once we started to be able to watch it more, we started to get it more together. But, um, in the earliest days, it was, even though we were a giant corporation, Warner Amex, you know, um, Warner and American Express, we were, you know, we were kind of underground. And we used to do this thing called runaway camera that somebody posted footage of online. Um, it was actually this guy who was now head of operations at CBS. He was a cameraman for us back in the day. And we'd be there working hours on end. Um, you know, we'd get there at 8 in the morning, and we would leave sometimes at 10, 11 o'clock at night just shooting VJ segments, and we'd all get burned, the crew and, and the VJs. And they'd do stuff to try and keep our spirits up. And one time uh, I was doing a segment, and the cameraman who was on me screams, Oh, run away, camera! And all of a sudden, the other cameraman who was shooting across the camera goes flying across right in front of the camera shooting me and the cameraman like chasing after it like it ran away and that became a bit for us. Where runaway camera after first it was just the cameraman, then it became like both cameraman and the stage manager, then people would come out of the control room and everybody would be chasing the camera or the camera would like bounce off the wall and start, they'd be running away from it as it chased them back. Then people started to come down from the office to be part of runaway camera and there would be, you know, like Billy Squire would be in to do an interview later in the day, he'd be in runaway camera. <laughs> you know, it just, it became crazy just because we were trying to make it feel live and make it feel spontaneous and, and feel nuts so that would be a surprise when they did that you wouldn't know it was coming it would just... i wouldn't know none yeah. of us okay. would know it would just happen right. and then you know look when it got to be it wasn't like it would be on the schedule we're going to do runaway camera in the <laughs> three o'clock hour it would just happen and you know something like the office people who would come down and there was it was like two different worlds at mtv the office was one thing and the studio was another so the people would come down from the office had once they started to get wind of what that was and They'd be like there during their, their lunch break. And so, anybody doing runaway camera? You know, just, I'd love to do that if we, you know, it just became like a thing for, for them, too. How did the, they determine who was doing the interviews? For example, you mentioned uh, for McCartney, they flew you out to England. Um, yeah. How come you instead of Alan or, or, or Martha, for example? You know, that was, um, and I, I talked about this in the book that we wrote, that it, it was, there was friendly competition with all of us because we all had the interviews that we wanted to do. The fact that you mentioned the Robert Plant interview, the fact that I got to do that, I don't remember exactly why, um, because Led Zeppelin was, J.J. was friends with them, and Robert knew J.J. very, very well, and I don't know how I got that interview. He must have been like on vacation or something, because there's no way that, that I would have gotten that interview over him. Um, but it was the producer's decision who who got what. You know, it was management. It was even sort of above the producer level to the executive producer, who was really like an office 
guy, you know, a suit, um, who would make make those decisions. And it was based on who knows what. You know, the, the Paul McCartney interview, I was so excited. that I was happy that I, I got that. Martha was pissed. Martha really wanted it badly. She was a huge Beatles fan, and she was dying to, to do that interview. And I got it. I lucked out. She got Bob Dylan. And I was, I was dumbfounded. You know, in the beginning, you know, Martha was, was a kid. She was still in college. She would have to get graduated, you know, in May of that year. We launched in August. And well, she was, you know, she got a Bob Dylan interview early on in the first few months. And I was like, how? She doesn't know anything about this guy. How is this kid? She's 21 years old. How is she going to talk to the voice of my generation? You know, she was a child, barely born when when his, his records were coming out. So I, it was like a thing, and it was uh, you know people just sort of the, the, the suits made the decision and and we rolled with it. I lobbied heavily for Bruce Springsteen, and I kind of helped to bring that interview in. His, it was his first television interview, and um, I helped to to bring that in, and so I got that interview. What did you? What do you mean when you helped? Did you reach out to his management? Well, did you, have I, you know, I um, the fact is that at the time I was I was married to uh, this woman who was a very famous New York DJ, and she worked at WNEW, and they of course were like the flagship station mm-hmm. for for playing Bruce, and Bruce knew her, and it, it's like Howard Stern had grown up listening to her. And um, and she was friends with the manager, also with John Landau, and and um, just sort of through her. And in fact, in the interview, um, I said to Bruce, "Hey, you know, you you have you've waited all this time to, you know, do a television interview. Why now?" And he was like, "Well, you know, new record, I was born in the USA, and it's really big, and yada yada." And your wife talked me into it. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, you read his book, by the way? The, the I, I'm in the midst of it now. What yeah, do you think? I'm like, I love it. I'm, I'm a, a massive Bruce fan. Right. Always have been. I'm from Philly. So, you know, in, in Philly, the radio station that I worked at also was like NEW here, like on the record, all over it. And I, I think he's an, he's an amazing prose writer. And, and obviously, he's a great storyteller. So, um, you know, to some of the stuff that I kind of knew already, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff I had sort of heard about. And, um, you know, I'm a fan and friend of Dave Marsh, who, of course, has been like the ultimate Bruce biographer. And, um, but I, I love to hear from his perspective, you know, what, what it's about. And I, and I love the way that he writes. Yeah. It's, this it's, is it, too, he said. He's not doing any more. <laughs> any more books. So it took him like seven years yeah. to write, I think, or something. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just exactly. finished it. It's, it's really good. And it's funny because it's really good if you're in a band. He talks a lot about being a band leader. Yeah. Uh, there's actually more like sort of music business stuff in there than you would think. Um, it, it's sort yeah. of it's there. But if you're not thinking like that, you kind of go over it. I, what's what surprised me most so far, anyway, is I I knew that he you know was a, just a kid from Jersey, but I didn't realize how poor he was. 
Right. He was, you know, no heat and cold water and, you know, couldn't shower all the time and living with his, his grandmother. and I mean, all of that stuff w- was news to me and really kind of put into focus even more why he has the perspective that he has today in terms of, you know, these characters that he's been writing about uh, and, and growing with over all, the, all these years. It really just really focused that for me. And I thought that was fascinating. Right. And, and you brought up your book, and I think we should bring up your book, too. That it came Yeah, out, I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> it came out uh, in 2013, VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave. And you did write it with Nita Blackwood, Blackwood Alan Hunter, Martha Quinn, and yeah. an additional author as well. Uh, Gavin Edwards, yeah, Rolling right. Stone contributor, really good guy. And um, I know it was it was uh, I don't want to forget J.J. Jackson only because I think it was the anniversary of his death uh, last week. It was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So St. Patty's uh, Day. St. Patty's Day 2004. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was interesting going back to that time. He was he would always say Triple J. You know, this is Triple yeah. J, J.J. Jackson and him being the only uh, African-American uh, on the on the channel as a VJ, you know, yeah. uh, and yeah. I didn't. I'm thinking back back then. I wasn't thinking about that, but now looking back at the cover, uh, just the fact that that he was there, I, I guess was I don't know if it's groundbreaking or if it's I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just think it's interesting that he was there. You know. Well, you know, um, I and I, I, we talked about this a, a bit in in the book. Um, they when they cast the five of us, uh, it, it sort of became evident later to us that there was a really a kind of a method to what it was that they were going for. And, um, you know, Alan Hunter was, you know, the, the jock, supposedly. Nina Blackwood was the, the hottie, the video vamp. Martha Quinn was the, the girl next door. And, um, you know, J.J. was the benign black guy. <laughs> and um, there was there was a reason for that. You know, they did want to have have a, a black guy on the channel. Have a black audience then, right? Well, it wasn't, yeah. frankly, it wasn't a lot, especially when we, we launched. Mm. Um, but, you know, they, to, to MTV's credit, they, they did decide that they wanted to, they, had, they wanted to have two women on there. There wasn't a lot of women in radio at that time. My wife was one. And there was uh, really a, a few more by that time. By 1981, there was more than had been even five, six, seven years before that. So the fact that we had two women on there, I thought was was a good thing. Well, it's interesting because it, there was the the uh, I guess since Bowie died last year, the, that interview that you did with him again, going back to around '83 ish, um, where yeah, he, it was the Let's Dance album. Yeah, and he turned the tables on you. And he started asking yeah. you questions about how come MTV isn't playing music by black artists. Um, Man, and- that was such a, a horrible situation. And, the, and this, this story is laid out in the book. Um, and I, I have to say that when, when he died, um, MTV News, which has been and continues to try and reinvent themselves as a, a credible news source, and I, they, they haven't succeeded yet, as far as I can tell. But they, they released that footage to the Washington Post. And 
I, when, when he died, Sirius came to me and put me on live to handle the coverage and to field calls from Nile Rogers and from other people who had worked with him and, you know, um, Carlos Alomar and people like that. And um, they released that footage, and I was getting tons of, of hate online, and I didn't, I was on the air, so I didn't even know what was going on. And uh, when I got off, I started to check, and there was all these messages about it. And what happened was this, and it's kind of, in, in retrospect, it's, it's somewhat funny, although not really. Um, he, I had never met him before, and another one of those situations, big interview, um, and I was nervous to do it. And this was sort of uh, a junket situation where he was going to sit down with us, with MTV, right next to us, you know, five feet away, was Entertainment Tonight. And they had their crew there, and they were waiting. When he was done with me, he was going to move over to their setup. And then there was another outlet further down. And so that was the, the, the setting for my interview. In addition to that, I had senior vice presidents of the company there, our heads of, of our publicity department and head of programming. All these suits are wandering around. And I'm trying to just focus on the interview that I got to do. And so I, I get introduced to him. Hi, you know, I'm Mark Goodman, and it's so great to meet you. And I said, man, so I hope you're ready, man. I'm, I got a lot of tough questions for you. And he says to me, well, well, that's great. Uh, I, uh, once we're, we're done, I have some punishing questions for you as well. <laughs> I just was like, ah, ha, ha, he's so funny. But, but, you know, I had no idea what was, what was coming. And he, of course, goes into to that bit. And that was, that was kind of edited, what you, what you saw. The piece was edited. There was, there was more to it than that, and I wasn't quite as, as uh, inarticulate as I appear to be in that. But I was nervous. I was young. And I wasn't trying to, to I, you know, I was accused of being a racist online. It broke my heart because I, I am the furthest thing away from a racist. I grew up in Philly, and when all my friends were listening to, to rock music early on, I was listening to black music and the black radio stations, and I was cutting school and going on black dance shows. And I grew up with Otis Redding and James Brown and all this stuff. And so when they started coming at me with that stuff, it killed me. And I... Back then, after that interview, I started calling him Bowie the Ambusher because he just, you know, just used me to make a point. And it, it really, I, I felt completely flustered, and I, to I, I dropped the ball. I totally screwed it up. Um, part of the reason, too, that it was screwed up was because at that time, J.J. and I had even had this conversation because the two of us came from rock radio and nobody ever called WNEW and said why aren't you playing bl more black artists why aren't you playing earth wind and fire you know why are you playing cool in the gang nobody did that because it was a rock station and that's what MTV was designed to be and that was why it wasn't a conscious effort on MTV's part to not play black artists but and even J.J. used to, to get asked this, this question when once the sort of the black controversy started to come up. And that's what he would say. But as the time progressed, what wound up happening was we both kind of realized, because we would have these conversations off camera, and we would play Culture Club or Spandau or, you know, these bands that were ABC. They were doing black music. It was 
to defend. Um, and, you know, in fact, that was, you know, ultimately what happened was the Michael Jackson thing, that Michael Jackson's people and his label came to us and said, hey, we got this amazing new album. It's got Eddie Van Halen on this one song. And the executives, the programming people were like, great, well, give us that. We, we want to play that. And instead, they, they gave us Billy Jean, I think, just to mess with us. But, um, you know, that was the first one that we wound up playing from him. And then uh, Beat It was the next one that we got. And, you know, it's, it, and it was really about black artists rightly saying, hey, these people are going on MTV, they're making videos, and they're selling tons of records. We want in. <laughs> we want a piece of that. And they, they, they were right, you know, and we should have been... The, the radio, the the station that was forward-looking, and was a great song is a great song, and that's ultimately what wound up happening. But the Bowie interview really, you know, it's embarrassing and it's horrible. It's one of the the worst moments of my career, and I, you know, I'm so thankful for you for bringing it up. It's great. <laughs> I, I knew you'd appreciate that. Did you ever speak with him again after that? Um, no, I did not. I never had the opportunity. You, that was the only interview you ever did with him? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, connected he to... He didn't do many interviews himself, but uh, with us, uh, I don't recall any other times that he, he spoke with us, actually. But in that interview, I mean, t I just watched it again um, this afternoon. To his credit, he did a very good job of asking... The questions, yeah. you know, you know, and, and uh -huh. unfortunately, it was to you, but um, he 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 made a good point, and he and he made his point very well. Yeah. And that's you know part of why I was calling him the ambusher was I had no say in the programming, and mm -hmm. he knew that, and it was really you know I was just a pawn in his game, so that was infuriating, and I was an unwitting pawn, and an you know a a uh, an inarticulate pawn. And, and but he yeah he did ask the right questions and it was interesting on the day that he died when I was live uh, on Sirius covering uh, that I had Niall Rogers on who produced that album right and and Niall and I are good friends for for many years you know we we had spoken you know when he got involved with Duran Duran and Power Station and all that stuff and he um, he told me that day on when when Bowie died. That ultimately it was him, I didn't even realize this, it was him who put that idea in Bowie's head. Hey, how come there's no black musicians on MTV? Bowie wasn't even thinking about it. Oh. And Niall mentioned it to him. That's interesting. So, that is very uh, interesting. You know, look, even Niall, you know, Niall was, was big for us on MTV and was, he certainly became somebody that we talked about and interviewed and, and had on, you know, he was... He he didn't see color. He you know he was involved with like I said like with Power Station, but he would also be an amazing producer for for plenty of other people in the in the eighties. He got involved in in that wave. Well, you talk about underrated people. I mean, he's he's still going with his career, and he's still obviously involved. Whether it's Daft Punk or the the current hit with The Weekend, and uh, right, you know, but, but he, yeah, but he's he's so much more influential than you really realize. You know, I think yeah, he's underrated. Well, too. That's why he's getting the, the Lifetime Achievement Award 
uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, induction coming up, and he uh, he feels extremely uncomfortable about it um, because Sheik, who was on the the list of possible inductees, did not get in, <laughs> and I, I think that the Rock Hall felt like oh we, we, they felt a little embarrassed about it, and and that's why I think that they came, you know they decided to give him the award this year. Interesting. Now uh, we we get back. I mean, connected to that question, going back to the Bowie thing. Um, not to harp on that, but uh, we did get. Oh, no, it. Yeah, let, let, let's keep uh, rubbing <laughs> this in about the worst. Moment of my yeah. career. Yeah. This, now, Ra, uh, Mark, what would you say the second worst? No, this is not the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was, was sunshine and roses? It's uh, trying to make it make it good for you to come here uh, to William Patterson in two days and really enjoy yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Taylor, who uh, sent us a tweet, and she wants to know what is one of the most important lessons you've learned about interviewing artists? Listening. Okay. Listening uh, has, has been the most important thing, so that you can be in the moment and react and make it like a conversation as opposed to an interview. And I have to say that one of the things that I pretty consistently hear back from managers and, and even from artists in many cases is that I, I make people feel comfortable. I make them forget that it's an interview and make it feel like a conversation. And I think that that, that and, and preparation, you know, to really, you, you can't be totally into every person that you're going to sit down and interview. So you have to, to prep for it and be, be familiar enough and, you know, try and be, be open. That's what I try and do. Okay. Uh, one question we've been asking everybody who's been on, a, I'm doing a project that I'm presenting in Chicago, actually in a week. And uh -huh. it's something that might, uh, that I think makes sense to you because you've dealt probably quite a bit with artist managers, music artist managers over your career. And yeah. knowing that, what would you say is the single, the single most important aspect of the music industry that an artist manager needs to understand? Oh, boy. I mean, that's, that's a difficult question to answer for uh, a manager because a manager, especially today, needs to be really clear on the state of the, uh, the state of the nation. You know, and these, they need to be clear, and it's their job to marshal every aspect of an artist's career. So today, that means writing production, um, social media, radio, touring, merchandise. I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge job. And you have to, and there's plenty of old school managers out there who, you know, don't really understand what the, what the business is today and what the nature of streaming has done, for example, to, to the music business and, and to selling, you, you don't, sell records anymore it's about touring and merchandise and you know there's plenty of artists uh, managers who you know, they're still having their artists put out albums and not that i don't love albums but there's plenty of artists i, I just interviewed jason derulo today and you know he's not he, he's gonna he, he has an album coming out but he's putting out uh, a lot of songs he's doing songs john mayer same thing he's just putting out blocks of of songs because that's the way that it is, and a manager has to understand that. 
They have to understand the business aspects. They have to understand what a good publishing deal is. And um, it, there's there's so much involved in that, especially today, because of it's like the wild west out there. In in terms of if you're a band and you're trying to get known, all all the rules, the old rules, are, are now broken. Okay, I'm actually typing this as you go. So, uh, oh, good. What was the second word you said? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, uh, that's good. Aaron, do you have anything else, or I can keep going that, forever? That was a great response to that because I, I agree with that 100. percent And I I do work with ma a lot of managers myself, artist yeah. managers, and some of them are still in that old um, school mentality, and and uh, it's not good for their their clients. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean you have to have to be aware of what what the landscape is you know you can't just make a record tour make a record tour it's you know that that may be sort of the paradigm it has been and that's not to say that there's not plenty of people still doing that but especially now um to be social media and and the internet are are the things that really have changed life for up-and-coming bands and for for major artists as well. And the fact that you can be in direct contact with your fan base, with your core audience. And I think one of the things, if you're looking for sort of one thing, I think that one of the main things that, that I think a good manager should understand is that the best thing that can happen to an artist is for them to stay in touch with and in line with their core, their core audience, because those are the people who are going to keep you working and keep you supported. They're going to buy your downloads and they're going to buy, you know, your merchandise and they're going to buy the, the tickets. And um, you need to please them and keep them interested. And hopefully everybody else will come along for the, for the ride. Great. That, that's very, very good. Okay. Um, now, you are originally a radio guy, and you mentioned the Philly station, which was WMMR, which is funny because I grew up in New Jersey listening to NEW, which was the rock station at the time. And that was right. usually uh, in in all the polls and all the magazines back then, the number one rock station would be WMMR. Um, and I think PLJ, when you came to PLJ, that was uh, a rock station at the time yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the number one rock station. PLJ, when I got there, PLJ had ratings. They were in, the, in I think, the fours and fives. And NEW, which was the, was the hip station, had ratings like in the twos. We crushed them. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's cool. What, what do you believe? I know you're, you work with Sirius now, yeah. what, uh, which is uh, satellite radio. But uh, in terms of terrestrial radio, what are your feelings about terrestrial radio today or New York radio even? Well, I, I don't know. Everybody who lives around here, aren't you shocked that there's not a current rock and roll station in this town? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pathetic. It's pathetic. This is a music mecca for artists. And the fact that, that a rock station, whatever a rock station is today, in the, you know, the way that things are today, the fact that there's not a rock station in this town is, is horrible. Um, and and it's not, you know, it's. I don't want to say that it's not unusual. It's unusual, but it's sort of expected. And you know, it's it's a hell of a tough business 
again because of the internet. <laughs> there was, uh, I'm, I'm friendly with with, um, with Richard Marks, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. AC, AC writer, but he's a great guy and really funny. And and he was telling me just a couple of months ago about a conversation that he had with Brian Adams. Now they're both still alive and making music and, and touring and they're making a living, no problem. But Richard told me that they they were somewhere at a gig and they were talking about kind of the way things are going with their publishing, you know, that you get money, you know, your records get played and you, you get money. And Brian Adams said to Richard Marks, like talking about the, their declining revenues because of the, the way that things are and that you get much less money from streaming than you do from a radio play. And Brian Adams says to Richard Marks, we've got to turn off the internet. <laughs> <It's gotta work. laughs> That's like the plan for the future. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I mean, it's a uh, it's a difficult situation for for radio. You know, radio like even satellite radio, we're fighting the same battle. It's it's about the car, and it's about everything that's available to you to listen to in the car. And that's now, you know, with Bluetooth, that's that's your phone. That's Spotify and Pandora and Sirius XM and the local FM station. And, you know, I mean, I, I have Wi-Fi in the car now. Probably a lot of people listening have Wi-Fi. So that opens up, you know, Internet radio stations. So we're fighting all of that. And, you know, we have a slight advantage at Sirius XM because our music channels are commercial free. So that's something. Um, and, you know, the, the terrestrial radio stations are fighting to, to stay afloat. You know, part of the reason, sad but true, that there isn't a rock station in New York is because, sadly, that format doesn't have the listenership. Um, the listenership for, you know, college kids is going to be you know, maybe this radio station, I don't know if you guys play music or not, um, but it's going to be, if they want to hear stuff other than what is top 40, uh, other than, you know, Katy Perry and, and whoever else, Jason Derulo, people like that who are amazing, but if they want to hear rock, well, where are they going to go to to find it? And there's there's not enough of them out there to support a radio station. You know, if you have ratings, if your ratings are in the ones, you know, if you're 1.9 or something, you're just not going to get the advertising dollars that you that you need. So, mm-hmm. well, well, I don't mean to go on about this, the business stuff. I don't know how interesting this is to you, but it's the, you know, the, the nature of it becomes now, if you don't have the advertising dollars, in, then, and once um, the, the rules for station ownership were changed by the, the Reagan administration. Um, so now you can own six stations in one market. Um, that means that you cut costs. So if a radio station is not getting numbers, so that station is going to be changed to a format that does, and you're going to cut your costs by having, let's say, in a New York radio station owned by you know, a, a big company like MS Broadcasting or something, and they'll own let's say six stations in New York and six in Chicago and six in LA and six in New Orleans. And the jocks who are on the air in New York will get off the air on whatever their shift is and they'll cut, they'll cut shows for other markets. And 
that saves the company money because they're not making enough advertising through advertising. So they, they cut costs elsewhere. And it hurts the format. It hurts the form as a whole. It's tough. You know, the Internet ruined everything. Let's be frank. <laughs> you should just turn it off. Let's turn it off, like Brian Adams said. Turn it off. <laughs> but uh, it's funny because uh, Nash FM, which is a country station, uh, is mostly out of New York. You know, uh, a lot of the DJs, a lot of what we hear on there is yeah. uh, outside of this area. You know, we right. hear they're in Nashville or they're in L.A. or, you know, mm-hmm. where it's done. We, we don't probably aren't thinking like that when we hear it, but that is how that goes, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 you know, in terms of business, if you've got people there who are communications majors and they want to get a job in radio, it used to be, well, great, you know, so you, you go to Trenton and you get a gig at a Trenton radio station. But, and, and there's, you know, without being specific, because I don't know all of the stations in, in Jersey, but hey, these days they're, they're going to, syndicating so so that there's somebody in a bigger market that is going to do a show for them and they'll just pay for, for that because it's cheaper than paying a full-time jock and there's so there's not the outlet for you to go and and learn how to be a DJ by going to you know smaller markets I uh, go to Wilkes-Barre or you know go to, to places like that and, and get on the radio there it's really really hard right mm-hmm. um but it has not been hard having you on the radio with us, Mark Goodman, for this. I know. I don't um, shut up, right? No. You're, 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 it's funny. We had uh, uh, Daryl McDaniels on last week. We actually got in more questions with you than we did with Daryl. Um, oh, wow. One, well, I'm one, saying something. Okay. One, one que- I was telling you this when we spoke last week. One question led to like 15 minutes. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we got more. Um, so, again, the reason we had you on is because you're going to – why are you going to be here on Friday night? I'm looking forward to uh, the fundraiser. I want my 80s. Let's bring it it back. Yeah, we're going to bring it back. Bring it back the 80s. Bring it back Mark Goodman. He's going to emcee our best of MTV's early years. Friday, March 24th, 7.30 p.m. Buy your tickets or come on down and just pick them up that day. WP-presents.org. Mark Goodman of SiriusXM's Debatable on the Volume Channel, which we got did not even get into. Maybe someday we'll have you on again. If you're willing, if you're not willing, we won't. If you are willing, we will. Always willing, always willing. I'm, I'm happy, actually. I'm really looking forward to Friday night. It's going to be great fun. I, I love getting out there. I, you know, raising funds for people to be able to go to college is awesome. I, I want that. That's important. And it, I'm going to be there with DMC. I mean, how cool is that? And Rob Pisari, come on. I, I'm I'm so excited. I think it's going to be great fun. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, you're going to be here at 7.30, which makes it even better. So this is going to be the And there's going to be some great stuff Fingers going on. Fingers crossed, man. you got to talk to the, to the people who are running the Lincoln Tunnel. Let's, we'll see. Well, we got a helicopter for you. So awesome. it, yeah, it'll be, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, it's just like like Woodstock or something. That's awesome. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> hopefully there's no parking lot on the between New York and here. So uh, all right. So that is Mark Goodman. Let's thank Mark Goodman for being on the air. Mark Goodman. Thank you, Mark. You may thank hang you, up. Thank you, Mark. Now. Yeah. I right, thank you, and we'll see you Friday night. Looking forward to see it. See Friday. Thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. Uh, we want to thank Ashley Weltner for producing and engineering the show tonight. The perfect Ashley Weltner, the best student ever. We also want to thank Professor Aaron Van Dynamite. You're most welcome. Yeah, Aaron Van Dynamite. You did not, I don't think you, you did not ruin anything tonight.
So Marcona can come back. He'll feel comfortable. I didn't ruin anything. That's right. Because uh, Dr. Esteban Mar- still on the air. Yes, the show should still be. And there were no F-bombs dropped in this show. We have, uh, I brought that up to him last week. I only week. bring those, uh, those uh, interview people in. Doc McGee did it. You know, we had a couple. Del, Del is funny. Um, so next week, our guest is going to be Kevin Erickson, National Organizing Director at the Future of Music Coalition. Then after that, uh, Tom Mullen from Sony Legacy. A lot more coming up. So we want to thank you for listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Bravery Radio 8.7 WPSC. The only radio station on the campus of William Patterson University. Of course, at the end of every show, we do not say hello because that would make no sense because at the end of the show, so at the end of the show, you don't you say Aaron Van Dino Oh. Um.